Good morning, Grace Assembly and those that are joining us, wherever you may be today. I don't know about you, but my heart is just overwhelmed with thankfulness that I can worship the Lord. And I'm so grateful for our worship team that leads us into the presence of the Lord. I'm also extremely grateful for those who are working with our digital media, who are helping produce these services so that we haven't really missed a beat in being able to attend church. It's not being together, but at least we're able, we are able to share together in, in the word of the Lord and in worship together. And I'm so grateful for that. Today, as I approach the word of the Lord, I, I have come to understand that during this period of time, this, this sheltering in place, one of the things that I have enjoyed doing is kind of revisiting some authors and some books that I've enjoyed in the past. One of those authors that's one of my fav favorite authors and resource book is one that is written by Dr. George Wood called A Psalm in Your Heart. And last week, of course, I ministered out of the Psalms. And today, I'm going to be ministering out of the Psalms as well. And I hope that you're enjoying some time that you have just to read and kind of dig into some of the truths of the Word of the Lord and that it's, it's filling your soul and, and nourishing you with everything that God desires to give you. My text this morning and the theme of this is really a, a psalm for those that are discouraged. What does God have to say to those that are discouraged? The text that I'm going to start with, and I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and, and that you would keep them open during this message because we're going to be going through a couple of chapters that should really be one chapter, but looking at them in depth as to what God has to speak to you. But the text is found in Psalm 42, verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Heavenly Father, there are some people that are enjoying this time of their life. There are other people that are drying up on the vine during this particular time. There are some that so desperately need to hear from you today and others that have kind of just been cruising through life. And I pray that you would, in this moment of time, kind of arrest our spirits and bring our attention to you so that you can minister to us what you desire to speak to us today. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I wasn't supposed to be here this week. In fact, I was supposed to be in Missouri officiating the wedding of my nephew and his bride. There was a big celebration that was planned. In fact, it was going to be a big wedding. Each of them had six people that was going to be standing with them. And we are a big family and we are loud. And we had had this huge celebration that we had planned as we were going to celebrate their new life in Christ together. About three weeks ago, it began to become crystal clear that I was not going to make it. In fact, I had called them and had a conversation with them on the phone, and they were naturally disappointed that I wasn't going to be able to make it, but I was easily going to be replaced. The big disappointment was that almost nobody was going to be able to make it. There was a huge disappointment when they found out from the state that their wedding could go on, but they could have no more than 10 people. And so this past week, they had a wedding, a bride and a groom, their parents, and a minister. They have so many brothers and sisters that not even they could attend the wedding. I was thinking about that as I saw a couple of pictures today, and I began to wonder, I wonder how you work social distancing when the minister looks at the bride and groom and says, now you may kiss your bride. I understand that they were able to work that out okay. This is just one story of disappointment, just one story of discouragement. 
I have a friend this week that was unable to hold his mother's hand and to kiss her one last time as she passed from this life into an eternity with Jesus. The world's health circumstances prevented him from providing her comfort and robbed him of that final memory. This is just another story of disappointment, another story of discouragement. By now, all of you probably have heard those stories from your friends or neighbors, or maybe even you yourself have lived through one of those, and you're kind of struggling with the aspect of how do I deal with the discouragements that are coming from all of this? Some of you are saying, Pastor, how am I supposed to deal with this discouragement and disappointment? Some of you even are battling depression through this. And into all of this and into all of the discouragement and into all of these stories, the Lord speaks to us today and God's word speaks to us. The psalm today is Psalm 42 and 43. And really, as you look at these, you recognize that there should be no division within them. They really are one song that's just been divided up for us. But there is a dominating question that surrounds this. In fact, it's found three times. And the psalm is organized around that question. And the question is found in, in 42.5 and verse 11 and then in 43.5. And it says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? The psalm is a psalm for people who are going through discouraging times. And I hope today that this psalm has two applications. First of all, that the Lord will use it for some of you because right now you are not discouraged and you're listening to this thinking, oh, you know, there's, there may not be much out of this message that applies to me because I know that some of you are thriving in this. But here's what I would say to you. I would like you to use this message as kind of like a first aid kit because there will come a time in your life when you will go through a discouraging time or you will go through a depressing time and you're going to need to run to this and open it up and find that there's something there that can minister to you. And then secondly, there are those of you that are going through moments in your life today and you are very lonely and you are very discouraged and I pray that the Lord will use this psalm to encourage you Somehow today, if you have your Bibles and you're looking at them, especially those of you that are, that are holding real Bibles, you look right underneath the headline of the chapter number and underneath it, you will see this fascinating introduction. It says, for the director of music, a maskil for the sons of Korah. In fact, if you look through the Psalms, there are a number of Psalms that are written by this group, the sons of Korah who evidently sang songs in the temple precinct. As I was looking at that, I actually stopped for a moment and made a comment to my wife and said, hey, we are not the first generation to have worship teams. In fact, they had them even back in this day. It's called a mascal. I don't know what it was about, but I know that they took these words and they put them to music, and I don't know what it sounded like, but I do know that there's some powerful truths that were sung within this. And there are some levels of discouragement and depression that are covered within this psalm that we need to look at not only the sources of depression that are there, but also some of the different levels that are there and how God begins to work through them. The first thing that we see as we look at this is there is the discouragement that comes from separation. The discouragement that comes from separation. 
A number of people that this psalmist is feeling separated from, and he, and he feels uh, desperate for that. In fact, in verse 2, he says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet God? When discouragement hits our life, in unexpected times and in unexpected ways, one of the first things that we often experience is the feeling that we have been cut off from God. We know that we are to live by faith, and, and we know that we're not to live by sight, and that we often discover that feelings often betray us. But we cannot deny that we have feelings, and we can't deny that sometimes those feelings lead us to disappointment, and it hits us, and when it does, it can be very difficult for us to pray. I find this in my own life. When things are depressing... When unexpected things hit that I wasn't prepared for and discouragement is all around, sometimes I just sit back and say, Lord, what is going on? Lord, I don't sense you near. Lord, I'm not hearing your voice. I, I don't sense your arms around me. And we just sense this separation that takes place when discouragement comes. We thirst for God and we know that he's going to show up and we know that he's there, but we don't sense it within our spirit and we don't feel his spiritual arms wrapped around us. There are times we long again, Lord, I need a fresh Pentecost within my soul that will encourage me and enrich me, that will come and, and banish all of the sadness from my life and to fill me with joy again. And the psalmist sees that. He sees that he's not only separated from God, but he's separated from others. He says in verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitudes leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. And now for whatever reason, the psalmist finds that he's not able to do that. He can no longer go with the crowd and he's feeling that the four walls and the ceiling are beginning to crowd in on him and he, he's missing the engagement of people within his life. And as I read that, I just stopped and going, now that I can understand. Because honestly, today I have to tell you something. I miss you all so much. I miss the anticipation that I feel on Sunday mornings when I get up knowing that I'm going to get to see you and to hug you and high five your kids and that we're going to get to be together. I really, really miss sharing the word with people instead of a camera. I miss seeing your faces. I miss meeting all of the first time guests that have been coming to our church and, and all of the friends that you were bringing and enjoying those opportunities to become acquainted with them. I miss having our whole worship team take up the whole stage of our church where we have all of the guitars and the drums and the vocalists together and it fills the house of the Lord with sound. I miss standing on the front row during times of worship listening to the congregation sing behind me. And there are times I just close my eyes and listen as your, your words of praise fill my spirit and I hear you as songs begin to end and then before another one begins and hearing many of you just singing out in your spiritual songs and singing words from your own spirit. I miss that so much. I miss seeing all of the cultures of our city represented in our congregation when we're together. I miss the gifts of the spirit that are in evidence so many times when we are together in our services. 
I really, really miss seeing people come to the altar at the end of a service and being able to pray with you and share with you in the things that are going on in your life. I miss greeting you in the lobby. I miss watching you greet one another and the laughter and the conversations that take place because we really are a community of hope welcoming people home and I've missed that aspect of our gathering. I just miss our church being together. And there are two kinds of loneliness that the psalmist describes to us and we are experiencing both of them right now. The first one is the loneliness of isolation as we are cut off from physical contact with people. And the second one is the loneliness of missing the great celebrations of life. The last part of verse 4 indicates that he used to go and celebrate in the festivals. I have enjoyed from where we live on the top of the hill and at the beginning of our sub, uh, the subdivision we live in, watching as people who have birthdays in our neighborhood, it seems to be right in front of our house where all the cars line up. In fact, there was a young lady that turned 16 that attends our church that lives about three houses away, and her dad texted me and said, hey, sorry, we're blocking your driveway, and we walked outside and discovered about 40 cars that were getting ready to drive down and honk and yell, and we watched, and all of our neighbors were out on our, on our porches and were screaming and hollering and celebrating, and I'm thinking, the only thing I really missed out of that was I didn't get any cake. We are missing the, the celebrations of our life. And so we look at things like that and we've discovered that this is how people are throwing parties now or they're throwing gifts and balloons and cards out the window. I feel so bad for our graduates that are missing their graduation celebrations that are going on. We are missing the festivals. And so like the psalmist, we can understand this, that we're missing, missing the festive throng. He reflects even in verse 6, and he gives a hint that the psalmist may be even away from his homeland when he said, I will remember you from the land of Jordan. He's feeling separated from an area that he was so familiar with and grew up with, and his reaction is one of weeping. And I, as I read this, I wonder if maybe he's not feeling homesick as well. And so there's this discouragement and this depression that's coming on him because he is physically isolated from people and he cannot celebrate the great moments of life and he's homesick for the familiar. And then he moves into the second reason that he gives for feeling so down in his life is that it seems that he's suffering the discouragement from being a defeated individual. In this sense of loss that he describes. In fact, as, as you read the psalm carefully, you will note that the psalmist makes mention of his enemies, but not his friends. In the absence of any reference to his friends, it seems to show that he's focusing upon the defeats of his life. And the occasion is being used by his enemies to heap condemnation on him and making fun of him. In verses 3 and 10 of Psalm 42, they're yelling, Where is your God? And in verse 9 of chapter 42, he says, why have you forgotten me? There's this isolation that he's going through, the discouragement of a feeling as if he's being defeated in all of this. And it would appear that the loss that he feels in life has brought him to a place where he's feeling rejected and bewildered. And we see here not just the sources, but the stages of depression in his life. For the psalm moves clearly through Three distinct stages of depression, each one of them ending with this soliloquy where he says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? 
And if you were to take those questions and let them stand at the end of a particular movement or thought, it makes a lot of sense in interpreting this psalm. His first stage of depression is one of total dejection. He has absolutely hit the bottom of the pit. You could scrape him off the floor. And there are three reasons within these first five verses for finding him totally dejected. The first one is this. He is spiritually dry. As the deer pants for streams of water, he begins to describe this vision of a wilderness or a dry area and a deer that is panting as she is searching for some water, something that can begin to bring some refreshment to her. And he says, as the deer is thirsty, so my soul is in the same condition for you, Lord. I am dry and I need you so desperately. He says, it's been a long time, basically saying, since I felt your spirit. It's been a long time since I felt the comfort by you. It's been a long time since you appeared and made yourself emotionally real to me. Oh, Lord, I feel dry. God, I feel as if you're not there. Lord, even though I know what your word says, and intellectually I can accept that, but Lord, can't you do something about how empty I feel? And about how dry I am. Have you ever felt that way in your walk with God? I'm sure that if you have followed the Lord to any degree and for any length of time, you know what that experience is like. That sense of dejection, that sense of spiritual thirst. And you're wondering why God seems to have cut himself off from you. Some of you feel as if you've lost touch with God. Often the reasons why that we have lost touch is is sometimes we feel like we've brought it on ourselves because the enemy begins to whisper to you all the reasons why you should know that God doesn't love you. All of the failures of your life. And he brings those things up, indicating that you will never again experience the presence of God because you've been defeated and because of your failures. He begins to whisper to you that God has abandoned you and he surely wouldn't have anything to do with you after what you have done or after what you have felt or after what you have thought. And we battle those thoughts within our life. Secondly, we see the psalmist, and he is, he is torn up with sadness and sorrow. He says, my tears have been my food night and day, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? There is a value that comes in weeping. I always tell people when they're going through grief, when, they're, when they've experienced a loss and I let them know, listen, don't be afraid to cry. Sometimes it's the best thing that they can do. It begins to bring a breakthrough within their life. But there are others that try to remain stoic and they say, listen, God is giving me strength. And it's somehow that if God is strengthening you, that there will be no emotional release to the grief. God is strengthening me and I'm going to be okay and, and everything's going to be wonderful and I'm working through this and I know I'm going to meet them again at the resurrection. And I, I know that they are stating a theological truth but I immediately start to worry for them because I know that four or five weeks down the road, they're going to hit a wall. And suddenly, if they've not been able to let this emotion and cry out and, and let the tears flow, that they are going to be in a very unhealthy place. It's better to let the tears out when you're experiencing sorrow and sadness. And the third thing that the psalmist says is he just wants things to be the way they used to be. Any of you ever feel that way? 
Maybe you're feeling it right now. I just want things to go back to the way they were. In verse 4, he says, these things I remember. Lord, if I could just recapture the experience that I had with you when I was first saved, if I could just have that feeling back, if, if I could just have the joy again, the sense of power that I felt surging through my spiritual life when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you would just bring that back to me. And I think that sometimes we begin to memorialize or we begin to idolize our spiritual experiences from the past, thinking that that's the way it's going to always be. And then we come to an understanding that God's presence with us leads us throughout the entirety of life, the high and the low. In fact, when you follow the Lord obediently, you're going to quickly discover that there's times when you're walking through the valleys and there's times that you're going to be on the mountains. There are times that he's going to lead you through dry places. And there are times he's going to lead you to a place of oasis. There are times when you're going to be in fertile valleys, and there are times that you'll be hiking on the trail of mountaintops. And the entire experience of life is meant to be lived. And the Lord leads his flock through those very areas of our life. And the psalmist is longing for the past. He's talking to himself, which is a reflection of just trying to encourage himself in these things, to stir to him the memory of how God has helped me in the past. And I know that if he's helped me in the past, he will help me in the future. And he asks himself after he thinks of being with the festive throng, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And then he, he answers it, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So for the first time as we get through this, we begin to recognize that there is this ray of sunshine in the psalmist. He, he breaks his total dejection by looking to the fact that his hope is in the Lord and that there is a future that God is holding for him that is beyond the discouragement and the depression that he is feeling at this very moment. I received a lengthy email a few months ago from an individual who was expressing the depths of discouragement and depression that he was in. He had recently moved to the area and was struggling, as he indicated to me in the email, to find a meaning for life. And he went on in this email to detail some of the things that were in his past that had fed his depression. He also listed several things in his life that should give him hope and should give him a joy for the future that it's worth living. And he indicated to me, I'm regularly battling thoughts of ending my life and recently had failed in an attempt. A co-worker was aware of what was going on in his life and had directed him to a particular message that was on our website and said, you, you need to hear this. And so he was sitting in the car listening to this when God began to speak to him. He said, it was in that moment in my car by myself as I'm listening that I begin to recognize that there is hope. And he said, I submitted my life to God. He said he was writing to me as an introduction because he was coming to meet me in person next Sunday and he was anxious to meet me and the church and engage with people. The next Sunday, I met a wonderful young man who was delightful and at the end of the service, he responded to the altar call and came forward and, and publicly committed his life to Jesus Christ and engaged with our altar workers and pastoral staff and he told us as he was getting ready to leave, I can't wait to come back next week. In fact, I'm going to bring my whole family with me. And we were overjoyed. You can imagine our shock when we found out that Thursday of that very week, he succeeded in taking his own life. 
I begin to recognize, even through this text, that depression comes in waves. It comes in cycles. We think we're out of it only to find the next day or the next evening or the next hour that it has returned with violent intensity. Just the moment we think, finally, I'm breaking through, there seems to be something else that comes and knocks us over again. And maybe that depression returns because of something that you had hoped would take place, that you thought this might trigger the permanent joy within my life that I've been missing. And then a relapse happens and it seems to come again. I believe that the psalmist indicates the truth of these cycles and waves. In fact, in the very next series of verses, he begins to express his bewilderment and confusion of everything that he's going through. And there's this spiritual and emotional tug of war that is happening within his life. And we hear it in the words that he says and things like this. In one verse, he's speaking of of, of God's presence sweeping over him like a wave or the Lord giving him a song in the night or God is his rock. And in the very next verse, he's speaking of feeling as if God has left him. In fact, 10 times in these Psalms, he uses the word why. In this very same verses, he says, why have you forgotten me? Why must I mourn? Why am I oppressed? Why do you let me be taunted by my enemies? And we ask the Lord, why is this happening to me? Is it because you're not here? Is it because you do not care? Is it because I have failed? Why is it that these waves seem to be hitting me just the moment I think I can have a breakthrough that the cycle seems to start over again? Some of you are experiencing that in your life today. One of the things that I love about what George Wood says here is he said, he loves the theology of Scripture that says that God always comes to bad in the bottom of the ninth inning. No matter how far behind we may feel, God always has the last crack of the bat in our lives. And that's what the psalmist is pulling for, so that he he comes to the close of the, the second saying, and he says, My bones suffer mortal agony as my phones taught me, saying all the day long, Where is your God? And then he says, why so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. And here is the affirmation. No matter how deep the depression, no matter how discouraged I am, he is saying, I still believe that God is going to have the last word within my life. And that leads us to the the rescue from discouragement. He finally reaches the point in this psalm where he turns everything over to God. And he says in doing that, he begins to turn his eyes to the future. And he said, send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then will I go to the altar of God. He now sees himself finally getting back to a place where he can worship the Lord in public. He said, my joy and my delight, I will praise you with the harp. One of the great strategies that the enemy uses against us so many times is to tell our mind that the worst possible scenario will always happen to you. He wants you to feel as if you're trapped and that you will never be anything but locked into this terrible pattern that you are in. And facing this, the psalmist lifts his heart and lifts his faith to the Lord and then to the future. And he says, I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. I love what the psalmist discovers here and that what each of us need to discover 
And that is that one of the greatest ways to defeat depression, to defeat discouragement, to knock over despair is to begin to sing again. Sometimes a song can make all the difference in the world. One of the things I love is the songs that people have been sending to each other through social media. They're saying, this song really ministered to me, and they post it, and the number of comments of people that are joining with them and saying, yes, it was just what I needed at just the right moment, and it's helped lift people out of the pit of despair as they begin to put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ again. And so this time, as the psalmist is recognizing, I'm ready to sing again, he, he once more asks this question, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And now he knows. The, the previous two times he says this, it's almost like a whisper with no confidence. But this time with full voice, he says, put your hope in God. You can tell the difference in the attitude as he gets to this place. And that's exactly the process the psalmist works himself through. That by the time he gets to the end of this psalm, he's declaring, I have put my hope in God and recognize that what I am feeling and what I am going through, it's only temporary. But my God is eternal and he will hold me and sustain me and lift me from the pit and give me joy one more time. And today I say to you, if you are feeling like the psalmist and you just find yourself, man, you've just been discouraged, you've been down, maybe... Maybe the tensions in the house are getting to you. Maybe the financial tension are getting to you and just you're, you're wishing like the psalmist, I wish things would just go back to the way they used to be. You find my world is leading me to a place of discouragement. Maybe you are thoroughly depressed. Maybe you're spiritually dry. Maybe it is that because we've not been able to gather together, you've lost the ability to gather with God's people and you're not taking care of yourself spiritually and you're beginning to sense that dryness. I want you to know there is hope for you in Jesus Christ. For those of you that may be at a place in your life and going, man, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I want you to cry out to the Lord and say, I'm putting my hope in you, God, because you are the one that holds my future and you must give me a reason to live and rejoice one more time.